We're in the middle of a series called Empowered, leading up to our Holy Spirit Conference. But I actually believe we have a problem with the Holy Spirit. So, is everything, Kaylin, everything's okay back there? Okay. So listen, is it just me or are there times when we start talking about the Holy Spirit that you kind of go like, hold on, what? What, what is going on? What, what are we talking about? It can be this like confusion almost and times when it just seems like you have more questions than you have answers. Has any, anyone ever felt like that when we talk about the Holy Spirit? Just checking to make sure I'm not alone. But then we can add to that there's tension and pressure that can accompany all things with the Holy Spirit. So we hear things in sermons like, well, you need to be full of the Holy Spirit. You need to be praying. You need to have gifts flowing out of every finger and healings and all of this stuff all the time, every day. And all of a sudden, it can feel like this pressure on the inside and well, if, I, if I'm not seeing all of that all the time, then is there something wrong? What's wrong with me? Why, why do I see it over here and not in my own life? Has anyone ever felt like that? Add to that, then there's expectations, right? We've seen God move this way before, so he should move like this again. And then there's an area like healing where we pray for healing here, and somebody gets healed, and then we pray for healing over here, and then we pray for healing again, and, and we have these expectations, and then there's expectations that others have on the Holy Spirit, and the church has different, and then we have our own expectations, and then there's perceptions of all this stuff, and all of a sudden, again, you can just feel like... I trying, I don't, I don't know. And then add to all of this, there's this mystery that still surrounds the Holy Spirit. If you think about Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit's first poured out, they had no perception of what it was going to be like. The whole thing was mystery. And we still live with that measure of mystery. Partially because our own human brains can't comprehend big, bigness and greatness and plan and scope of God. So it leaves us with a bit of a problem with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to try and make a little bit of sense of this today, and we're going to go to Scripture, which thankfully speaks to this. So you can turn ahead to Acts chapter 8, and uh, if you were here last week and you were tracking and taking notes, Pastor Bill actually preached on the first eight verses of this chapter last week. He preached about the same Philip that we're going to read about here, where he went into a city 
And his favorite verse, I think, is Acts. One of his favorite verses is Acts 8, 8, where it says there was great joy in that city. So we're picking up right where it left off last week. So we're going to read through this. There's a few verses, but stick with me. This is one of those great narratives in Scripture, so don't trail off. Get a picture. For me, it's like I always try and view Scripture a little bit like a movie, like actually put faces to people and engage so you're getting the picture that Scripture is presenting. So we'll start in verse 9. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believe Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. So we have Simon the sorcerer. I don't, I don't know what he'd look like, but in your imagination, get a picture of what this guy might look like. He's practiced magic and sorcery for years. People are amazed by what he's doing. Philip comes in and declares the good news of Jesus, and this Simon actually believes and is baptized, just like we baptized people in water a few weeks ago. He follows that same path. Verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem had heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. What an incredibly encouraging story leading us up to our Holy Spirit conference. We could just pray now and all go home. It's a challenging story, for sure. A bit awkward, 
firm correction for Simon comes. But what I love so much about this story, as you find all the way through the Scriptures, is that it just shows us a real picture of humanity. This Simon guy, he's trying to figure it out. And he hasn't got it. Many of us, when I, when I just went through some of those things that we kind of go, I don't, I don't get this with the Holy Spirit. I don't understand. You put your hand up and you said, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. What we read here with this Simon character is that he had a problem with the Holy Spirit. There was things that he didn't understand. So listen, if we have a problem with the Holy Spirit, then let's dig a little deeper and go, okay, foundationally, where, where do maybe our problems with the Holy Spirit start? Full disclosure, obviously, this is a massive topic, and you might have specific questions that you're like, what about this? I can almost guarantee that I won't cover everything on the Holy Spirit this morning. It's a huge topic. But I just want to start with some base level problems that we find in this story that I, I think set us up to start our journey with the Holy Spirit maybe on the wrong foot. So here we go. First thing is this. We come in with a history. We come in with a history. Um, has anyone had a bad experience at the dentist before? Anybody? There's some people who absolutely despise the dentist. Uh, when I was younger, I had to get some fillings or something, and they jab you with a needle, freeze your mouth, then I didn't see anyone for a long time, and they came back, and they're like, hey, is that freezing working yet? I, and I said, well, it did work, and now it stopped working. So then they had to jab me again. So you don't like getting jabbed in the gums with a needle on the best of days, but again, it happened twice. They did, they, they did the process there was more pain, I think, than there needed to be. But in that moment, I started to have my own history with the dentist. In my head, next time a dentist might say, hey, um, we're going to need to give you a filling. I'm going to go, oh, great. Well, now they're going to jab me once, and then they're going to jab me again. Because it didn't, I don't know where the dentist went, but they should have gone to so, my next visit to the dentist, I'm coming into it with a history. Already, I have thoughts about how this is going to go. And generally, I'm not going, oh, that was amazing last time. I think, I think there's hope for it to be better this time than it was the last. But my history with the dentist will inform all of my future relationships with the dentist. Whether I like it or not, that's how I'm going to approach those visits. 
So when we read through this story, this is exactly what Simon the sorcerer was experiencing with the Holy Spirit. So keep in mind, for many years, he'd been performing magic in Samaria. People called him the Great One, the power of God. But I have to be very clear, he wasn't empowered by God. And when we read through Scripture, we find a lot of different people that were practicing magical arts, or they're called sorcerers. You'll remember in the story of Moses, in Pharaoh's court, all of these magicians come, and Moses takes, or they take their staves, and they throw their staves on the ground to mimic what Moses did when he threw his staff on the ground, and it turned to a snake. Then they throw their staffs on the ground and they turn to snakes as well. Not empowered by God. Now the outcome of that story is Moses' staff ate all of the other staffs. This wasn't the same power empowering both. Neither was it in this case. You can read uh, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, where Paul encounters a girl who's fortune-telling. Making her master, she's a slave, making her masters tons of money. She's not empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we know that because when Paul approaches her, he casts out a spirit that was in her that allowed her to tell the future. That was not the power of God. So when we read about Simon here, we're not talking about a guy who's like a pen and teller and he's doing sleight of hand and card tricks. We're actually talking about someone who's empowered by something other than the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm being very clear on this because sometimes we can just think, well, it's all kind of the same. Well, why would a staff eat another staff if it's the same power, right? A kingdom divided against itself will never stand. And in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're instructed very clearly to stay away from mediums and sorceries and divinations, fortune tellers, all of this, we're told actually to stay far, far away from. In modern times, you'll see things like uh, at the Stampede, they have those palm readers. You can find a Ouija board at a Toys R Us. And we're actually inundated with a lot of things that we would read about in Scripture. And they almost seem common. And it can be like, oh, let's just see the palm reader. Or let's go get our tarot card read. But the Bible's very clear to just leave no space for this in your life as a believer. So why? Well, we might think it's just kind of fun. But the reality is we have an enemy who's looking for any avenue to get into your life. And his mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. He's not kind of trying to be a little bit helpful. He's out to destroy you. And all of these little avenues are cracks in doors and ways for him to come in. Listen, at the very, very best... Very best scenario, 
you'll be left confused and questioning and not farther ahead than when you started, period. But it does open you up to a whole lot more. But listen, Simon the sorcerer in this story, this is where Jesus found him. That had been his life. That had been his history. Jesus finds him right here. And we know that he actually turned his life over to Jesus. He was baptized. But his past didn't instantly disappear, right? When it came to seeing a new power, he would think, well, previously I've just bought a a book that would tell me the new spell or whatever I was working with, and I could pay money to learn that, to receive that power. So when he sees the Holy Spirit working, he's going, well, this seems logical. I'll just pay these guys, and they'll share that with me. Was he potentially, I, I mean, I know we read that he had sin and jealousy in his heart and all of those motivations, but this was the history that he brought. So listen, the question for us this morning then is what history do you and do I bring into this discussion with the Holy Spirit? Maybe you're here and when you were growing up, you had a bad experience with somebody who said, well, I speak prophetic words and it was not from God. Instantly, you could be going, I don't know about the Holy Spirit. But is that actually the Holy Spirit? Or is that your thinking, your experience, and your history? In his correction of Simon, Peter uses the word thinking and thoughts. Peter was directly addressing this history, the perception that Simon had about the Holy Spirit and how he operated. Romans 12, 2 says, as Shan already shared in the offering message, it says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So this month leading up to our Holy Spirit conference, I want you to actually dig in to some questions and go, God, what's wrong in my thinking about the Holy Spirit? Begin to comb through the Scripture and say, God, teach me about the Holy Spirit. I don't want to have this idea that He's going to jab me in the gums twice and drag that into my future relationship. Where do you have wrong thinking? Where have you picked up a history that doesn't reflect who he really is? When was the last time you actually asked God to go, hey, is there stuff that I believe that isn't true? But this month, let's make some room and go, God, let's get it cleared up. If there's clutter, if there's all of this extra stuff that actually isn't you, that hampers me from actually walking closely with you. Can we start to clear some of that out? We devote a month every year to talking about the Holy Spirit because it's a huge topic, big. 
So this month, let's devote a little bit of time to adjusting how we think. And notice I'm not telling you exactly how you should think. We read the Bible and we go, this is what it looks like. There's teaching. I'm just asking you to ask those questions today. Just like Simon, we start where Jesus finds us, but we don't stay there, right? Simon's prayer at the end of that correction, he's like, pray for me, help me, I don't want to be there. So if you find that you have the moment somebody says Holy Spirit or uh, a gift of tongues is a great polarizing one in a church, or uh, we have a prophet coming, if you feel the resistance don't just go, no, I don't like it. Dig into why there's a resistance. Begin to move past it. Okay, next thing. We come in trying to buy something that's free. Come into our relationship with the Holy Spirit trying to buy something that's free. I heard this story about a guy who, um, he got a new washing machine, like, clothes washing machine, and he took the old one, and he put it on the edge of his driveway with a sign that said, free. He had a new, new, dry, or a new washer. This washer still worked. Who needs two washers at their house? There may be moms here who are going, actually, I could use two washers. There's also an appliance repairman who probably has like four washers at his house right now. Um, but he left it on the end of his driveway with a sign that said, free. Sat there for days. Nobody called. Nobody inquired. Nobody just said, hey, can I take this dryer? So what he did is he switched the sign after about a week. And he just wrote on the sign, $200. Put that sign on the dryer. By the next morning, it had been stolen. Probably the same people who saw that it was free before. In Peter's correction of Simon, he condemns Simon for thinking that the free gift of God is something that can be bought. So Peter describes the Holy Spirit as a gift. And in the original Greek, it's this word, dorea, which is literally defined as a gift. But there's a few ways that you can also translate it that we find in Scripture. Listen to this list. Freely, needlessly, without a cause, without a charge, Without cost, without paying. Do I need to read this again? He's saying this is a free gift. I'm just going to go ahead and read these again. Freely, needlessly, without a cause, without a charge, without a cost, without paying. That means that this gift of the Holy Spirit is totally, 100% free. 100% free. 
without cost, without pain. Now, you might be here and you're going, yeah, yes, I do know that. Yep, I totally agree. It's free. And some of you will just nod so that we just get on to the next point. But if we're honest, are we maybe a bit more like Simon the sorcerer than we'd like to admit? Are we maybe more like him than we'd like? So we might not be here. You know, you didn't come here with $2,000 to try and buy the gift of the Holy Spirit today. But do we actually believe that the gift of the Holy Spirit is free? Now, we might say it with our mouths, but if you actually think about your life in relation to the Holy Spirit, if we looked at a movie of your life, would it actually back up what you're saying that you think it's free? So, if you think I'm wrong, just consider this for a moment. If it's a free gift, then what keeps you personally, not someone else, you from receiving this free gift? We all agreed, hey, there's a problem with the Holy Spirit. So what keeps you from receiving the free gift of the Holy Spirit? And I would hazard to guess that your question will start with something like, I'm un dot, dot, dot. And then you can begin to insert so many different words after un. Unworthy uneducated, undisciplined, unfocused, unloved, unqualified, un... You can insert your own word. So we can say that, yeah, it's a free gift, but when we start to look at it, we'll say, well, here's all these things that disqualify me. I haven't put enough money in the account to have earned this free gift. On the other side, you can say, look at this giant deficit that I've created because of how I've lived, and this is why I don't have enough to earn this free gift of the Holy Spirit. So we end up in a spot where we know it's free, but we live like it's something that has to be earned. And we're good at it because if I sat down with almost any of you, you could say, Yes, I know it's a free gift, but I know that I don't spend enough time or I don't read the Bible enough, and that's why I don't have the gifts of the Holy Spirit flowing in my life. Sounds so true. So does it have to be earned then, or is it free? I'm going to go with what Peter said. He actually says very clearly that it's free. And here's what else I like about this story. You have in it Philip Peter and John, who are all ordinary people like you or I. It's very clear. And also, if you look at the life of Peter specifically, um, I think he was more flawed and unqualified than anyone in this room. And he's the one that when he lays hands on people, they receive the Holy Spirit. If, if you don't believe me, have you ever denied that you even know Jesus three times? Just said, 
No, I don't even know Jesus. I don't like him. I don't want him. I don't need him. You probably haven't even said that about one of your friends. Peter said it to Jesus, and Jesus saw him the third time say it. That sounds pretty rough. Oh, also, Peter took a sword and chopped a guy's ear off. Have you guys done that recently this week? Hacking off body parts? That's a pretty big disqualifier, isn't it? I mean, Jesus had to take the ear and pray and put it back on the poor guy. He's more unqualified than any of us. But it's a free gift. Hard to grasp, but we can't earn it. So listen, we've looked at two things that I believe are this base level of why we encounter a whole lot of other issues with the Holy Spirit later. It's not that he has a problem. It's that I get in the way and I clutter things up for myself. It starts with your history. You come in with a history and project that history on everything else. Or you come in feeling like I've got to earn it. Now, there's so much more we could dig in on that because for me, I know, like I love playing music. I think music is an incredible gift. But if I want to get better, I still have to practice. things I haven't quite solved, but I know it's not earned. So listen, I propose to you a solution this morning. And that solution is presence. Period. Simon's biggest fault in this story is that he only wanted the power of God but not the person of God. He was focused on everything that God could do and not on everything or or all that God is. He was seeking gifts, but not the giver. He wanted the power of God, but not the person. So my proposed solution is that we just get everything simple again. We just get everything simple again, and we get back to getting into the presence of God. We complicate it. Everything gets so cluttered. And my proposed solution is simply the presence of God. Now, is this just my idea, or we find it in Scripture? Acts 4.13, there's a, a verse about the two apostles in the story. Peter and John, they've just walked by a man who was lame, and they prayed, and he was healed, fully restored. Religious leaders of the day hated, hated that people were getting touched and transformed by the name of Jesus. They get brought in front of these religious leaders for a trial, and in verse 413, it says this. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Again, we're going to read this. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. Ordinary people like you or I. But listen to this sentence. 
they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. More than training, more than qualifications, they were men who had been in the presence of Jesus. These were the same guys that would have waited in Jerusalem, waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that they didn't even understand. They didn't have a reference point for, but they didn't hurry away because it's taking too long or I'm bored or I don't know. They stayed and they just waited and the presence of God was poured out and transformed the entire world moving forward. There's no substitute for the presence of God. There's simply no substitute. There's no amount of of climbing you can do to try and get closer to God. There's no substitute for His presence. So a few questions. When was the last time? And I, and I really want you to, to think and engage here. When was the last time you found yourself in the presence of God? You might say this morning, right in worship. At a moment, that new song is phenomenal. But I had a moment here this morning. The presence of God came. Rushed in. Can you recall that last time when that tangible presence of God was real to you? When was the last time you were just overcome by the closeness of God? When was the last time that you heard God's voice? You heard him speak to you. What did he say? Now, I'm challenging you to recall this because we're forgetful people. So we rush around and we get busy. And when we actually just take a moment, we slow down and we remember the presence of God. We remember the closeness of God. All of a sudden, everything can begin to change. When we can let go of, I need to do all of these right things so his presence will come. When we let go of all of this clutter, we can actually find him. I think in our, in our culture, everything is so full, right? Like there's been times when, um, <laughs> yeah, here's a great confession from Pastor Eric today. There's times when I'm like watching a movie on the TV. Somebody texts me, so I have my phone out. But then there's also some character in the movie that I'm fascinated about, so then I have an iPad. I've literally got three screens going. It's terrible. <laughs> how can you even focus on three things? But it's this picture for how quickly your life can become cluttered. And somewhere in this quiet whisper, is an invitation coming from God to say, come in close again. So I'd hazard to guess it's not about a list of, here's the five keys to getting into the presence of God. As it's something to add, I think for us, generally, if we just make a bit more room, we find he's already there waiting when we just start subtracting stuff not adding stuff. 
We make time each week for this in church, a gathering point. But where do you make time the other six days in your life for the presence of God? So the challenge is if we can get past our own wrong thinking and our own histories and back to the presence of God, if we can get past this idea that I have to earn it, it's got to be earned, can we just get it simple again and get back to being in God's presence? It almost sounds ridiculously simple, and that's exactly what I'm trying to get us to. Because we have an incredible capacity to make it more complicated. So worship team, if you guys want to come back up. So listen, if you know me, one of the things I battle for more than anything, both inside and outside the walls of the church, is for that presence of God. For me personally, there's nothing that matters more than the presence of God. And I'm not talking about something that's hype. I'm not talking about something that's only wrapped in emotion or only wrapped in... I'm just talking about I want the real presence of God. It's what I pray for this church. It's what I pray in my own life. I want the real presence of God. And it's so simple that kids get it. I've been at our kids' day camps here where you start talking about the Holy Spirit and tangibly you can feel Him rest. And kids that are crazy and zany and ADD all over the place, all of a sudden there's a peace and a calm. It's that simple presence of God. You'll also see it in these beautiful moments um, where in a church service you can look over at some of our seniors who I love and, uh, and you'll see one of those tears just rolling down a wrinkled cheek as they recall moments that they've had in the presence of God. It can be a song that triggers it, and all of a sudden they remember and recall those moments in the presence of God. And somehow between kids and the wisdom of our seniors, we get it all cluttered in the middle. And I've just been praying and going, God, can we make it simple again? I don't, I don't, there's so many things that are important, but can we just get back to the presence of God? Can we just make room for Him? So this is my challenge today, and then we're going to pray. We have just shy of two weeks from today is our Holy Spirit conference. Can we just commit as individuals to making room every day in between now and that Friday for the presence of God? I know everyone gets busy. 
I know life moves at a crazy pace. But can we take five minutes every day to just say, it can be as simple as, God, I'm just going to wait for you. There's a lady much wiser than I, and she's been on this journey with the Holy Spirit now for years. And for her, it started with five times a day asking God these two questions. The first question she would ask is, God, have I done anything that pleased you today? Have I done anything that pleased you? And then she'd wait. wait upon what God might say. Then her second question was just, God, have I done anything that displeased you today? And just with these two questions, all of a sudden a discussion would start. And every day she was faithful to just say, God, speak to me. Tangible ways. Have I done anything that pleased you? Have I done anything that displeased you? She's a lady that I respect immensely because she's just walked for 20 years carrying the presence of God. And it's just grown and grown and grown. Can we do five minutes a day? I'm not forcing you to commit. But here's why this is important. We come to church. We know that God's given the Holy Spirit as a gift. That gift is not cheap. But it does require that we actually receive the gift. He's not going to come and force his gift on us. We have to make room. We have to make a response to a free gift. And that response actually comes as we set aside time. This past weekend, we had our youth at a 403 conference, and it was phenomenal how God moved. I love those moments in the presence of God. I love these moments in church. But last night, I finished up a few things for this sermon, just reread it, and uh, Flames had just beaten Vancouver Canucks 6-2. Finished watching the end of that game. I wasn't overly tired. I thought, well, maybe I'll just, you know, watch a show or something to kind of unwind. And it wasn't even that God whispered, hey, hey, wait. Why don't you come spend some time with me? I had just been in church for like eight hours that day. He didn't even make the invitation, but I thought I could just watch a show and be mildly entertained. But instead, I said, I'm going to shut this off. And God, even just for 10 or 15 minutes, I think it was, God, can we just spend some time together? All of a sudden, life rushes into me. My condo gets transformed into a place of encounter with God just because I thought, not even because he was prompting me, but just because I want to be in his presence I chose to follow I chose to to motivate myself not because I felt convicted but because I was choosing to follow him and his presence came five minutes a day we can say that we want to be closer 
But at some point, those words need to translate into some action, some response to Him. What would our Holy Spirit conference look like if you weren't coming in barren and dry as a desert, going, God, I'm so desperate for some water. But what if you were already coming, having tapped into a stream? What would it look like if we all came and brought our little streams? What could happen? How could it look different this year than last? It starts today. Five minutes a day. Just set it aside. I like to go for a walk, and I leave my phone at home. Why don't you stand with me?